arable, dairy, beef, sheep, pigs, chickens? Are you looking for the best agri advice from a real specialist? Look no further. Hello and welcome to the seventh episode of Wednesday's AgriEd podcast, the home of talking agriculture. With global attention on environmental policy growing year on year and the impact of farming on our planet at the forefront of farming policy post-Brexit, Wednesday Seed Division has its sights firmly set on the future with the introduction of our new Environmental Seeds Product Manager, Amy Watts. Following her graduation from the Royal Agricultural University, Amy spent the last two and a half years at DLF Seeds. During her time there, she was involved in providing technical and sales support to merchants on a range of stewardship mixtures, game cover, roots and cover crops, so it was ideally suited to supporting our farmers in their journey through the post-Brexit agricultural landscape. Joining Amy and I today is Toby Reich, Wednesday's Head of Seeds, who has been part of this podcast previously. He will be giving an update on the exciting things Wednesday Seed Division has in store this year, as well as looking forward to spring and autumn grass. But for now, welcome both, Amy, for your first episode with us, and Toby, welcome back to the Agrilab podcast. Hello. Hi, Tony. Toby, turning our attention to business development for a moment, could you give us an update of Wednesday's direction of travel? As There's a lot going on, isn't there? There is indeed, Tony. Um, so I'll, I'll try and keep it to a, to a reasonable time. Um, but there is, uh, it's a busy time for Wednesday Seed Department, as is for Wednesday in the industry. Um, so Wednesday basically aspires to be the supplier of choice for seed advice and technology in the UK. As such, you need a, a framework to do that. And the most basic level, that comes down into to three areas. There's the people, the processes and the technology. Um, now, this framework is a little like a, a stool or a table that you need to balance those three things for it to stand effectively. Uh, if you don't, you end up maybe too heavy on people, but not enough technology to support them. Um, and on the other end of that, maybe you've got the technology, but no one there to use it. So it is a really important thing to, to balance those three. And I just wanted to, I suppose, when we look at the development of the business and, and going towards that, you know, that leading supply for seed advice and technology in the UK, I want to, I want to just delve into those three aspects further. So from a, a people perspective, what I actually mean is that, that can be anything from having the regional expertise. So wherever we are in the country, and we, you know, we, we're spread from England to Wales, from North Yorkshire down to Cornwall, um, up to Anglesey, we have a huge area to cover. We need to make sure that we have the expertise in all of those regions to give our customers the the right answers to their questions, to give them direction on the right species and the right varieties they should be using for the right markets. We need um, crop leads. We need people with experience in these areas, like Amy, um, that can really point Wednesday in the right direction of, of the right technology we want to be using. But the, the goal for always for us is to make sure it is the right technology for our customers, that it's giving them the right outcomes for their businesses. We also look at actually the, the continuous professional development of our, our teams and our people. So getting them on the right training courses, be that uh, making sure they're basis trained. And I'm not necessarily talking about full agronomy basis, but looking at the seed side of it. It could well be looking at identifying areas where we need to improve efficiency with things like Lean Six Sigma. There's so many areas where we can improve our people. 
and one thing that we know in in agriculture is we we haven't been the best at succession planning and we always need to make sure that there's always a route for those people to go to make sure there's always an opportunity for them to develop but the next person is there ready to, to take up that challenge after them the processes I, this i mean there is a plethora of processes to look at but if we think right how do we be the best seed advisor and the best seed technology company well, we need to understand what our customers want. So some of the processes are to speak with customers and clients, understand what their buying behaviours are, why, what do they look for, why do they buy, are they happy with our experience or what can we as Wednesday improve on? Then looking into maybe the seed plants, the actually looking at the efficiency of our production methods. How many tonnes or acres are we producing a day? Can we improve that? Is the quality good enough? You know, having good, you know, robust quality control processes in the plant. And then, I mean, they are all, they're all exciting, but technology really is the bit which looks that bit further. Um, I'll, I'll pull out some highlights from the technology we're developing. So if we look at hybridization, we've seen, we've seen this in cereals, in, in hybrid barley in the last decade. But we're starting to look forward into hybridization in wheats. And that's a really exciting area for not just Wednesday, but for agriculture as an industry, because this is how we start meeting challenges of, of a changing climate, changing seasons. We, we need this technology to come through. A little closer to home at Shrewsbury, we're, we're putting in an optical sorter uh, at the site there, which means we will not only be able to process new and exciting species and varieties like hybrid wheat, like hybrid barley, but we'll actually be able to clean the, um, the seed that we're selling down to an even higher specification of purity, which for our customers means that it's less spend on a herbicide. It's better, cleaner soil and crops. It's it's all about that return on investment for our customers. And then, I mean, I talked about Wednesday, where we geographically sit in England and Wales. We know that even through some of our wholesale partners, that that seed can end up in other parts of the UK. But we know that we are so strong in Wales and in the Midlands and South England, and we wanted to show our support and and growth in the east on top of the acquisitions we've made in the past with a really exciting development in the last few months which was bringing the armstrong richardson agriculture business into the folds of wednesday so we now have an extraordinary business uh, just outside york which has bolstered the position we had there a, a huge cereal business now with additional cereals, but also skills and qualities of a business that can also do grass, small seeds, as well as stewardship and environmental seed. So the likes of John Charlton and Jack Kelly that have, have joined us from the business up there and are now part of Wednesday in the Northeast. It's just it's such an exciting time for the, for the growth and development of Wednesday Seeds. So, uh, with so many exciting plans ahead, now seems a good time as any to introduce Amy. Welcome to Wednesday, Amy. Let's start at the beginning. Tell us a bit about your background. Thank you for the warm welcome. So, as previously mentioned, I completed my agriculture degree before working at DLF Seeds for the past two and a half years, where I provided support and advice to seed merchants on a range of stewardship mixtures, game cover, roots and cover crops. 
So my previous experience has really been focused on the environmental side of the seed sector and will be my focus now going through in my new role at Wednesday. The focus on both protecting and enhancing our environment has never been more in the spotlight than it is at present. Currently, farmers are maintaining practices to help achieve valuable environmental benefits for the local area and also the wildlife that inhabits it. And without such measures taken by farmers, we may witness greater habitat loss or even species decline across our landscapes, just to name a few of the couple of damaging effects we may see in our environment. And we've certainly seen the increase in focus and uptake of many of the countryside stewardship options um, as we've seen this scheme evolve over the past few years. So whilst at university, agri-environment schemes were promoted through environmental stewardship, which I saw grow, and it's two strands of entry level schemes, ELS, as we know, and also the higher level schemes, HLS. The Environmental Stewardship Scheme closed new applicants in 2014 and those existing agreements were honoured until the end of the duration with the ELS schemes lasting for five years and those HLS agreements lasting for 10 years. But in 2015, we saw the Countryside Stewardship launched with both the mid-tier and the higher-tier agreements, which are available and as we know today. But there are now vast changes expected over the next couple of years as this countryside stewardship scheme will be phased out and replaced with the new environmental land management scheme in light of our exit from the EU. So the focus of the environment has been at the forefront and is going to continue to be at the forefront of these new policies going forwards. So turning our attention to now, could you clarify how the transition from the current payment schemes at ELMS could affect our farmers? The Environmental Land Management Scheme, or ELMS as we'll know it, will be replacing the schemes currently available under the EU's Common Agricultural Policy 2024. Now this includes the Countryside Stewardship Scheme, so farmers will now experience a significant decline in payments from this year through to 2027 and these payments will be reduced progressively over this period. The direct payments will be phased out during the transition away from the EU-based rules that we know at present, and the introduction of ELMS will really focus on the principle of delivering public money for public goods. And it's vital that farmers are aware of these changes and the new approach that's upcoming in order to start thinking about the future of environmental management on their own holdings. All new agreements from 2024 will be managed under the new tiered ELM scheme, which will address different outcomes on different scales. And we're expecting three components to play a part in this, which will be the sustainable farming incentive, local nature recovery and also landscape recovery. But details on each of these components, along with their pilot scheme and launch, is expected to be released shortly this year, with the national pilots beginning later this year. Farmers will have the ability to choose at what level they wish to participate and will receive their payments accordingly. But just to give an example of what we expect from this tiered system, we would expect tier one to be based on practices at farm level, such as establishing cover crops or wildflower margins in order to achieve environmental benefits on farm. Whereas tier two is expected to focus on emphasising environmental priorities in the local area. 
and tier three on a much larger scale, such as land use change projects aiming to contribute to net zero carbon emissions and also additional outcomes from the government's 25 year environmental plan. The piloting and the implementation of ELMS will be funded by these gradual reductions in BPS payments and these funds are expected to be redirected back into these new schemes. And DEFRA have stated that the amount of funds that are available to the sector will stay the same. It's just the way in which the funds are distributed that will change. The Sustainable Farming Incentive is set to launch in 2022 in order to bridge this gap between CAP and ELMS. So here an early launch of the scheme will be open to farmers who already receive payments under the basic payment scheme before becoming accessible to all from late 2024. Here it will be straightforward for everyone else to take part also. The actions of the incentive are expected to be grouped into simple packages, allowing farmers to decide which of the options might be best suited to their own land. And although these are likely to be expanded on over time, as DEFRA does want to take farmers' considerations and views into account and also make improvements or changes wherever necessary. So it's not a fixed scheme at present and the options that are available, these are expected to evolve over time. And as more details are given, there are likely to be changes made along the way. And why is it so important we as a supplier are so aware of the changes our farmers are facing? The UK's exit from the EU has led to what is expected to be the biggest change in agricultural policy in half a century. And these significant changes can be daunting for our customers. And it's only natural that many will have concerns and lots of questions over the phasing out of direct payments during this upcoming period. So it's vital that we at Wednesday are aware of these changes to help guide our customers and provide mixture requirements and any advice going forward to help overcome any hurdles that they may be facing. As the upcoming reductions in direct payments will not be directly replaced, given that ELMS isn't going to be officially launched until 2024, by joining a countryside stewardship now, if you're not already enrolled in one, could provide a great stepping stone to ELMS and any of the future schemes going forward by showing that you're already providing these environmental benefits on farm. The countryside stewardship applications are still being accepted up until 2023 with those last applications for that scheme being accepted that year. So there is still an opportunity to be accepted onto an environmental scheme, which could remove any obstacles of being accepted onto one of the new schemes in the future. Now really is a good time for farmers to think about how they could benefit from such a countryside stewardship scheme and what they want the future of environmental land management to look like on their land. These imminent changes that we've previously mentioned will provide farmers with the opportunity to decide what they want the future of environmental land management to look like on their own land whilst being rewarded for contributing to national goals. But it is essential that the potential benefits of these new agri-environment schemes don't overshadow the approaching effects of these decreases in direct payments. And ALMS does have the potential to allow farmers to adapt to these changes showing the resilience of the farming community and whilst aiding the sustainable development of our environment on both a local and national level for years to come.
I will just add in additionally to what Amy's just said that if you look at Wednesday as a, as a group and then down into each product department, think about seeds. So Wednesday helps livestock and, and arable farmers to produce food in a more sustainable, environmentally friendly and profitable way. We need to provide our customers with quality products, specialist advice, and in an efficient service that leads the industry. And so that's why we need to understand everything that our customers go through. That's why we need to work closely with them to be able to guide them through events such as Elms. And that's not going to be the last thing we face as an industry. There are hugely positive things that will come out of that. We just need to be able to find the route either through it, over it, around it, along with it, because we are we're gatekeepers for the environment in, in farming. And we, as Wednesday, need to be able to help our customers be better at doing that. So with all this in mind, uh, let's talk grass for a second, Toby. Could you give our listeners some pills of wisdom when thinking about their grass rotations? Yeah, certainly. Well, I mean... Um, we're coming into kind of key timings for, for the year for anything grass related. Both spring and autumn provide opportunities for successful reseed. Basically, it's about deciding which is best for you, and that will depend largely on the land and the farming system. Although the timing of a spring reseed is likely to be influenced usually by the weather, spring usually provides the widest window due to the, the better weather, the better soil conditions. When reseeding in the spring, Good soil conditions allow a chance to use a post-emergence herbicide sprays and control weeds effectively. The spring reseed also means uh, a break or catch crops such as um, something like a winter grazing brassica could be grown. This can be a useful technique to reduce the threat of, of leather jackets as well. It's important to remember, though, a spring reseed initially offers a, a lower yield potential. And depending on the method used, it can mean the soil might be too tender to travel or graze early. Conversely, time period available for a successful autumn reseed is usually narrower, but it does allow time over winter for the later to, to reach its full production potential and give us all the, the chance to settle before travelling on it or grazing on it. So, an autumn reseed also means a, a full season's yield can be taken from the field before reseeding, following a, a full yield and the following year. Break cups can be grown before an autumn reseed with options including brassicas that can be grazed during midsummer when the grass growth is often lower. So essentially, I mean, kind of, is it time? Weed grasses such as annual meadow grass, they take every opportunity to invade sown pastures. Weed grass species yield poorly. They give poor quality and don't respond well to nitrogen. So consider reseeding essentially if there's 50% sown species, less than 50% sown species in the lake. And then is it a sort of a full or overseeding? Well, by overseeding or stitching in, as we like to say, you improve the yield and quality of grassland by minimising any, any time out of production for the land concerned. Sward rejuvenation should be used selectively on swards noted to be deteriorating, but yet still have a good proportion of something like perennial ryegrass present done correctly the right circumstances overseeding will enable you to get another few years out of it before a re full reseed is necessary essentially it goes back to that rule if the perennial ryegrass present makes up at least 50 percent of the grass species then the overseeding may well be a good way forward anything less than that then probably better to opt for the full reseed to get better better yields and the better quality out of your grass 
Okay, so some questions from our social media accounts. So a question from Pat in Shropshire. Uh, Pat has a two acre field that is currently rented to a local sheep farmer and would like to convert it to a wildflower meadow. There are two options uh, as Pat understands it. One is to spread the seed in early spring and let the sheep do the work and sow it into the ground. Or the other one is to kill the grass off and uh, we see it again. Pat would prefer option one, but uh, what is your advice, Amy? It's a very good question and one that we're often asked when it comes to the establishment of wildflowers and which establishment technique to use. But I think the main point to note is that wildflowers are very slow to establish and can be outcompeted by more competitive species such as grasses. And these wildflowers, they do prefer areas of lower fertility and also that the sowing rates you use will be dependent on the method used and also which mixture you go for, whether you go for a sole wildflower mixture or if you see some want to see some grasses in there as well. But with regards to overseeding, a wildflower only mixture can be sown into existing grass swards. But ideally, they will need to be free of both aggressive grass species and also weeds. So if you are going to go down this route, the existing pasture will need to be grazed hard by the sheep and then be harrowed to create at least 50% bare soil, ideally. You then broadcast the wildflowers onto the area and normally we would suggest rolling afterwards to ensure that optimum seed soil contact. But in this case, um, the sheep could be allowed back onto the pasture to tread in the seed and also graze down that grass that's already there further to reduce the competition. Um, they could be left on there for sort of five days to a week before taking them off and allowing those wildflowers to really establish. If you are going to think about this, I'd probably suggest the autumn sowing as opposed to spring, just because those grasses at this time will be less aggressive, especially if they're in a more open sward. This method, although it can be effective, it is less reliable than just reseeding and starting from scratch. So if you are thinking about reseeding, cultivating that seed bed to make it fine and also weed free and then controlling any weeds before you sow. Again, you'd broadcast the seed. This can be done in the spring or autumn. A spring sowing, the optimum time is between March and May, although taking into account the conditions that are there, because at the moment we are still seeing frosts. So you'd allow it to warm up a bit before you do consider sowing and then autumn again anywhere from august time through to september early october at the latest and once the sword is established in its first year you'd cut it regularly and remove any cuttings to prevent any dead material developing or any weed establishment underneath right at the bottom of the sword and then in subsequent years, you'd cut the mixture before the growth starts in the spring. And then again in October, once seeds have been shed. But we do have a lot of different wildflower mixtures to offer. And obviously, we can provide different wildflower mixtures based on what species you'd like to see. Or if there are specific quantity of grass you'd like in there, if you'd like a minimal number of grass or the wildflowers, that is some options that we could provide also. OK, and another listener who uh, established a wildflower meadow last year. So already this year, the grass is starting to take over. What can you do about that? I think the main point to consider with this one is management. Obviously, 
in the first year after sowing any wildflower mixture, ideally you want to cut it often. And this can be even as often as sort of every couple of months. But once cut, you want to remove the cuttings and shred them very finely in order to prevent the weed establishment at the bottom and also to stop patches of dead material developing. And cutting regularly also prevents weeds or the grasses smothering those slow growing wildflowers. But in the subsequent years, such as this year, in this case, you want to cut the mixture early in the spring before the growth starts. And then again in October, after all the wildflower seeds have been shed. But another option of incorporating another species that may help the wildflower populations increase is yellow rattle. And this can be used to increase species diversity in the mixture. It is a semi-parasitic grassland annual and is extremely beneficial to a wildflower meadow as it fixes itself to the roots of competing grasses, drawing nutrients from them and therefore suppressing the grass growth, helping to produce a better display of wildflowers. Its establishment, though, can be unpredictable, as with wildflowers, when sowing it into an existing mixture. So yellow rattle seed must be sown in the autumn as it needs a period of prolonged chilling throughout those winter months to trigger its germination in the following spring. So in order to establish, we would cut the sward as you would in the autumn, keeping the grass short and creating gaps by, for instance, raking the soil to aim in to expose some bare soil before broadcasting the seed on. Yellow rattle itself, it germinates late February to early March, flowering in June and then sets its seed in July. So once those annual plants die away, gaps that it's left behind allow those wildflowers to then establish. So it's not a quick process when incorporating something that's yellow rattle in there, it, but it helps build year on year the proportion of wildflowers that you see in your mixture. You mentioned there about cutting quite, quite frequently. There's no danger of killing off annual wildflowers by doing that. Then they do. They do just grow back, do they? Obviously, if it is just annuals in your mixture, there is obviously always the risk that you are cutting them off and you're not going to see them um, flower. But obviously, if it is towards the end of the flowering season and you do do that in sort of the October time, by then the annuals have shed their seeds ready for the next year. So if it is a solely annual mix, you obviously aren't going to cut it as regularly or if at all in the first year. But obviously, for those with a lot large proportion of perennials in, it's not going to cause it any harm. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. The AgriHub podcast will be back next month with more news, insights, chat and tips. And we'll be joined by Wednesday's National Sheep and Beef Specialist, Bryn Hughes. So don't forget to like and subscribe now. If you would like any advice or practical know-how in the meantime, just visit our website and we'll be happy to help. Until next time, thank you for tuning in and we look forward to welcoming you again soon.